From Kindred Church, your inclusive church family. This podcast is a collection of sermons from our weekly worship services in Durham, North Carolina. Whatever your background is, wherever you are on your faith journey, we hope this message helps you take your next steps in response to God's unconditional love. Well, hello and welcome to Kindred Church. It's so good to be with you if we've not met before. My name is Daniel and I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to tune in with us at Kindred, we're especially glad that you have joined us. Uh, Today, our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among the tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord. I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So don't hold this against me, but one of my favorite shows over the last few years has been The Righteous Gemstones on HBO. If you've seen it, uh, praise be to he, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, I'm not necessarily recommending it because it is very offensive, very profane, but it is pretty hilarious. Uh, It's a fictional story about this family in South Carolina, and they lead a megachurch. And very quickly in the show, we discover that this family is extremely dysfunctional. Uh, Like, these are really just pretty horrible people. They're constantly fighting with each other, lying to each other, stabbing each other in the back, stealing from each other. They're just just pretty messed up. Um, And yet, they lead this megachurch, and so they have this public perception to uphold. And every single Sunday, they go to church, and they get dressed, and they put on their makeup and their microphone and they plaster a smile on their face and they pretend like everything's fine. They pretend like they've got it all together. They act like they are perfectly righteous, hence the name of the show, Righteous Gemstones. Um, and part of what makes the show funny and, and part of what makes it dark as well is that the better we get to know these characters, the more we see how twisted they are and, and backward they are. And that just makes their hypocrisy all that more outrageous. Now, I think that one of the reasons that the Righteous Gemstones has become so popular in recent years is because behind all the laughs and the slapstick silliness and all that stuff that that goes on, behind all of that, there's actually a, a very serious critique of the church as well. And I think it's a critique of the church that many of us resonate with. That church is often a place where people pretend they've got it all together and people who don't get excluded. Church is often a place where people pretend that they've got it all together and people who don't, whether they don't have it all together, they don't pretend that those folks get judged and excluded. My guess would be that many of us have personal experience with this. I mean, how many of us have been through a time in our life when we felt like we had to hide a part of who we were, a part of our life, when we 
We're at church. Maybe you've been through a time when you were facing a, a difficult financial situation, but you didn't want to share about that at, at church or in church circles for fear of being judged or, or excluded. Maybe it was relational that you and your partner hit a rough patch or your relationship was on the rocks, but you felt all this pressure at church to pretend like everything was okay. Uh, or here's an example that, that hits close to home for me. Uh, maybe someone that you love or maybe you yourself was struggling with, with mental health at a certain point and you felt like you couldn't be open about that at church for fear of judgment or shame or, or exclusion as a result. Uh, maybe you've got a habit in your life that you know is, is destructive, that you know is, is harmful and you're carrying shame about that, but, but you feel like you can't talk about that at church without being judged for it. Um, it, it, can, it can happen to us in, in so many different ways, but I know a lot of us have experienced church to be a place where our flaws are not welcome, our struggles are not welcome, our failures are not welcome uh, at all. And that, to me, is, is heartbreaking in and of itself. Um, but if you've ever felt that way before, I want you to know that you're, you're not alone, not at all. And I know that's true because uh, several years ago, uh, the Barna Research Group, they did this big national survey where they were determining what are people's attitudes in society towards Christianity and the church and, and faith and things like that. And one of the things that they found in this big survey was that among non-Christians, 87% said that Christians are judgmental. And they found that among non-Christians, 85% said that Christians are hypocritical. Now, what surprised me the most in this study was that those numbers were almost as high even among church-going Christians. That even among church-going Christians, there's this strong perception that, that the church is, is full of people who are judgmental and, and hypocritical as well. And those numbers tell us that many of us, if not most of us, have experienced church to be a place where we, we, don't, we can't share our, our struggles, our, our failures, our flaws uh, without facing some kind of, of exclusion. Uh, now, again, that, that's heartbreaking to me. Maybe the most heartbreaking part of all of this, though, is that since the church is often exclusive of people who have struggles and, and, flyers and flaws and, and failures, uh, oftentimes folks get the impression that God is as well, that God excludes those folks as well, that God excludes us. As well, I'll give you an example of this. Um, about a year ago, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I just happened to see that uh, one of our Kindred Church members, one of you, had shared this this post from our church, and you were inviting your friends to to come check us out. Which kudos for doing that, by the way. But I noticed there was a comment on one of the posts that I guess one of this person's friends had left, and I think they were they were joking, but they said, uh, I can't come to church because if I set foot there, the, the whole building will catch on fire. Now, again, I think they were mostly joking, but the, the truth lurking behind that joke is this perception that God is exclusive, that God is out to get people who don't have their lives together, that there's punishment in store, that there's fire apparently in store for people who've made mistakes, whose lives are messy. And, and, and that's just a common misconception that's out there. We, we know that, that right now in our society, so many people are choosing to, to walk away from church. So many people are choosing to walk away from faith altogether um, because they're just deciding that this is not a God that they want to be involved with, understandably, understandably. Now, for all of these many reasons, what I want us to see today is that according to Jesus, none of this could be further 
from the truth. None of this could be further from the truth. Jesus has a very different vision for us of how church ought to be. And Jesus has a very different vision uh, of who God is as well. And I think this week is a good time to to talk about this because, uh, as many of you know, we're now in week two of our sermon series called Inclusive Like Jesus. Inclusive Like Jesus. We we said last week that if you hang out at Kindred Church for much time, you're going to hear this word inclusion, inclusive, uh, a lot because it's central to our identity. It's a big part of, of who we are. But we also know that people have a lot of questions about what do we mean when we say we're inclusive? How are we inclusive? Uh, A lot of people assume that we have some political uh, agenda or or some partisan uh, agenda that that we're pushing, and that's why we're inclusive, or that we're watering down the faith uh, and going along with changes in culture, and that's why we're inclusive, or we just think being inclusive is trendy and and cool or or something like that. But what we talked about last week was that uh, none of that is, is the case, that at Kindred Church, we're inclusive because Jesus is inclusive. And we're simply trying to be inclusive in the way of Jesus. Uh, Now, what I want us to focus on specifically today is something that should be really obvious. It's something that should be really straightforward, but, but so often Christians miss this and the consequences are devastating. It's that Jesus includes sinners. Jesus includes people whose lives are messy. Jesus includes people who absolutely don't have it all together. And that's really good news for me, I know, and I'm pretty sure it's it's good news for you as well. Now, we see Jesus embodying this posture all over the New Testament, uh, but I want us to focus in today on this story from Luke chapter 19 that we read a moment ago, because this story illustrates it so well, and it's it's just a, a wonderful story. Uh, now, some of you will be familiar with this story. If, if you grew up in church, uh, this is the story of Zacchaeus. You may know Zacchaeus as the wee little man, and the wee little man was he? climbed up in a sycamore tree to to see what he could see. Uh, This is the the very same Zacchaeus. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. Don't don't worry about it. Um, But even if you sang that song in vacation Bible school or church camp or whatever growing up, uh, you may not know how this story helps us to be inclusive like Jesus. So that's what I want us to, to pay attention to this morning. Uh, here's the context for the, the story. At this point, Jesus is passing through this town called Jericho. And this is towards the end of Jesus's ministry, meaning Jesus, this is kind of the, the height of his fame here. People have heard about Jesus. Uh, people know him as a, a miracle worker, as a healer. Uh, some people consider him to be a powerful prophet. Uh, and, and at least some people think that he just might be the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited king that God was going to send into the world to to establish the the kingdom of God. So this is a big deal. When word gets out in Jericho that that this celebrity, Jesus of Nazareth, is is passing through, uh, people want to come out. People want to see Jesus for themselves. Now, here's what most people in Jericho did when they heard that Jesus was coming through. Most people assumed that they needed to pretend like they got it all together. Uh, why? Because that's what you do in religious situations, right? They they assume, just like many of us were, were taught in church spaces, like you got to straighten yourself up, dust yourself off, put put on your Sunday best, so to speak, right? So we can imagine that the, the people of Jericho, you know, they, they, they start reverently walking out to, to see Jesus go by. And they're probably shushing their kids because that's what you do in a religious space, right? Uh, they're, they're probably elbowing their partners for, for being too loud. They're, they're trying to look 
dignified. Why? Because in a religious situation like this, they assumed you got to pretend that you've got it all together. That's just how this works. Now, against that backdrop, we're told about one guy who apparently did not get the memo about this at all. We're, we're told about this guy named Zacchaeus. He apparently did not understand how you're supposed to behave in a religious situation. And when we're introduced to Zacchaeus, we can tell right away that he is a hot mess and his life is a complete disaster. Now, that may sound harsh, uh, but we know that that's true. That's actually putting it, it mildly. And, and here's how we know. We're told that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And we should all say boo at that. Uh, tax collectors were uh, among the most hated people in this entire society. And, and this is why tax collectors were these uh, Jewish people, these Jewish men who hired themselves out to the Romans. And remember, at this time in history, the Roman Empire was occupying Israel. The Romans were oppressing the Jewish people on a daily basis. But the tax collectors were these Jewish guys who had hired themselves out to the Romans to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And what did the Romans do with all this tax revenue that was being collected? Well, they used it to pay for the occupation. They used it to help pay for the oppression of the Jewish people. So you can imagine how the Jewish people felt about these tax collectors. They were traitors. They, they were sellouts. And not only that, but the tax collectors were getting rich themselves because they would overcharge their fellow Jews on their taxes and then they would pocket the difference. So it was like, you know, some kind of white collar crime going on as, as well. So we know this is who Zacchaeus was. Luke tells us in the story, he's, he's one of the rulers. He's one of the chiefs among the, the tax collectors. And because of that, we can deduce some things about Zacchaeus' life and, and his situation. And, and the, the picture is not pretty at all. Uh, we can deduce that Zacchaeus is a deeply flawed individual. I mean, we, we know that, that he's a sinner in, in multiple ways. He's certainly consumed by greed, it would seem. Uh, we know that Zacchaeus must have been a very callous guy who was capable of, of being very cruel, you know? I mean, stealing from his neighbors who lived in the same small town that, that he did. Uh, we, we know that Zacchaeus probably had very few friends. Very few people who cared about him. I mean, if you, if you live your life that way, if you're a traitor and a sellout and you steal from, from your neighbors, uh, that doesn't set you up for relational success in life. So he's probably very lonely and very isolated. We know that Zacchaeus is rich and he's probably discovering what many of us have discovered, that uh, money can't solve all of our problems. That In fact, there's some problems in life that are made worse by money. So all of this to say Zacchaeus is a mess and his life is a disaster. And you may be a mess, and your life may be a disaster as well, but you probably don't have anything on Zacchaeus. He was not in a good place spiritually, relationally, emotionally, just, just not in a good place at all. However, however, here's something very interesting about Zacchaeus. While all the other people of Jericho were going into religious mode, you know, and they were just quietly, reverently making their way out to see uh, Jesus because that's what you do when a holy person like Jesus comes by. That's what you do when this revered, uh, godly leader like Jesus comes by. Well, while, I, while that's going on, Zacchaeus does the exact opposite of that. And we don't know exactly why, you know, was Zacchaeus desperate? Had he hit rock bottom? Was he feeling like he just didn't have anything to lose anymore? We don't know. But for whatever reason, while the people of Jericho are 
religiously, quietly, reverently walking out to see Jesus, Zacchaeus starts running. He takes off running to go see Jesus. I picture him kind of like a running back, you know, bobbing and, and weaving through the crowd, spinning off of people as he as he tries to get closer and closer. Um, but at a certain point, Zacchaeus gets all the way up to the front, but there's still a crowd in front of him that he can't get through. And remember, he's a, he's a wee little man, right? He's short, so, so he can't see anything. And uh, he's undeterred. He still wants to see Jesus. And so at this point, Zacchaeus does something so embarrassing and so undignified. Now, already, just by like running out to see Jesus, people were judging him, right? I mean, people already hated Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector. But as he's like totally kind of misbehaving in this religious situation, running when everybody else was trying to act like they had it all together, uh, they, they were judging Zacchaeus. Right, But now Zacchaeus gets to the front. He can't see Jesus. He decides to do something. He runs down the road where he knows Jesus will pass by a little bit later, and he finds a tree. And Zacchaeus decides he's going to climb up in this tree so that he can see Jesus when Jesus walks by. Now, we got to pause the story here for a second because I want you to think about something. When's the last time that you saw a grown man climb a tree? Like, Think about that, you know, uh, imagine that you're uh, taking your dog out in the morning in your backyard, you know, you're sipping on your coffee, your dog's doing doing their business and you look up and you see one of your neighbors uh, up just sitting up in a, in a tree. You know, how would you react to that? How would you respond to that? Well, you'd probably be like, Bob, what is wrong with you, you weirdo? Like, why are you up in, in a tree? Get it together, man, right? Or if you were more kind-hearted, if you were more compassionate, you might say like, Bob, uh, how can we help you? I'm, I'm concerned about you. Why in the world are you up in a tree? Either way, the, the point is, that if you want people to think you've got it together in life, the very last thing you should do is climb up in a tree. But that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. And once again, the, the people of Jericho are just judging, judging, judging. They're like, Zacchaeus, this is no way to behave in a religious situation. You're not even pretending like you've got it all together. You're just exposing all of your struggles and flaws and failures for the whole world to see they're, they're judging away. Now, here comes the moment of truth, Because a few minutes later, Jesus indeed goes right by this spot. Jesus gets to this tree and, and he stops. And then Jesus looks up in the tree and he sees Zacchaeus up there. And in this moment, everybody thinks, oh man, uh, Jesus is, is getting ready to condemn him, to reject him, to ridicule him. Everybody is thinking Jesus is going to exclude Zacchaeus in a, a very public way here. But instead, Jesus does the exact opposite right? You heard the story. Instead, Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, Zacchaeus, come down at once, Jesus says. And why does Jesus say that? Is he saying, come down at once because you're embarrassing yourself? You're, you're making a fool of yourself? No, no. Jesus says, come down at once, Zacchaeus, because I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. In other words, Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, Man, I want to hang out with you. I want to come to your house. I want to get to know you. I want to spend time together. I want to break bread together with you, Zacchaeus. Now, all of that raises a big question, right? It raises the question of like, out of all the people in Jericho, you know, you got all these nice button-down religious people doing their religious thing, pretending like they got it all together. All these people working so hard to put their best foot forward, you know, and, and look so good. Out of all the people of Jericho, why in the world would Jesus choose to go and hang out with Zacchaeus? 
Why in the world? Well, the crowd was wondering that exact same thing. They were like, what, what is going on here? And they start grumbling because they're outraged. They start murmuring. And they say, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Like, what the heck? What's the meaning of this? Now, in this moment, Jesus sees an incredible teaching opportunity. And this is too important to Jesus to, to just let this slide. So Jesus turns to the crowd to give an explanation. And notice what Jesus says here. Like, pay attention. Don't, don't miss this because so many Christians miss this. We so often get this wrong and overlook this. And when we do, the consequences are devastating. But, but Jesus looks at this crowd who's murmuring, grumbling, all these religious people pretending to be so good, pretending that they've got everything together. Jesus looks at them and he says, the human one, talking about himself. Some translations put it the, the son of man, but he's, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I came to seek and save the lost. I came not to reward the, the righteous, not, not to reward people who are pretending like everything's fine. They've got it all together. They don't need help or anything like that. That's not what I'm about. Jesus says, I'm here. I came to seek and save the lost. It's like Jesus is saying to them, yes, Zacchaeus is a sinner. That's no secret, right? Yes, Zacchaeus has flaws and, and failures. Absolutely, Zacchaeus needs help in so many different ways. Zacchaeus is lost in his life right now. But, but even though Zacchaeus is a lot of those things, one thing Zacchaeus is not is a hypocrite, right? Zacchaeus is not a hypocrite. Unlike everybody else who's playing this religious game, Zacchaeus is just real. Zacchaeus is just authentic. He, he knows he needs help. He knows he needs Jesus. And he's not trying to hide that at all. And what Jesus shows us in the story is that Jesus loves that about Zacchaeus. Jesus loves that realness and that authenticity. Jesus is attracted to it. Jesus finds it so refreshing. And so Jesus doesn't exclude Zacchaeus in the way that everybody assumed. But instead, Zacchaeus winds up being the most included of all. Zacchaeus winds up being the most included of all. Why? Because Jesus says, my purpose, the reason I came into this world is to include people who don't have it together, people whose lives are messy, people who need help. And as I said before, I know that's good news for me, and I'm pretty sure that's good news for you as well. So, so here's what I think that means for our church. Here's what I think that means for uh, our church. When we say that we want to be inclusive like Jesus, a part of what we mean by that is we want to be the, the kind of church, we want to be the kind of community where it's okay to not be okay. We want to be the kind of community where it's okay to be real with each other about our struggles and our flaws and, and our failures because we've all got them. We don't have to pretend like we don't. We've all got them. We want to be the kind of community where we don't have to pretend, where, where we can take off the mask. You know, we all go through life. We go through the world so often wearing this, this mask, pretending to be something that we're not. We don't want any masks at our church. We don't want to feel like we have to wear that. Jesus is not about that. Jesus doesn't want us to be about that uh, either. And what this story is showing us is that 
that place of authenticity where Zacchaeus was, that place of authenticity, if we can get there ourselves in our relationship with Jesus, if we can help other people in the church, our church family to get there in their relationship with Jesus, that is the place where Jesus does some of his best work. That's the place where Jesus does some of his best healing and heart change and transformation. We see that in the story. Right? Like very shortly after this authentic encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus is already changing in some powerful ways. We, we see Zacchaeus has this new commitment to financial generosity, to, to loving and serving his neighbors. He's making a, a incredibly positive changes in his, in his life. So if we can learn from Zacchaeus' example, at least in, in this way, um, then we too can, can find that same kind of heart change and life change and transformation that, uh, if we're honest, all of us need in different kinds of ways. And if we can be a community that creates space for each other to be vulnerable, if we can create space for each other to be authentic, when we share with each other our struggles and flaws and, and failures, uh, if we can meet one another with compassion and love like Jesus does, and not rejection and, and condemnation or shame or anything like that, if we can create that kind of space, then all of us together are going to experience the inclusive love of Jesus in a powerful way. And if we can create that kind of space together, then anybody who comes into our community is going to experience the inclusive love of Jesus in a very, very powerful way. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and, and loving God, uh, merciful God, we thank you for your deep commitment to us, God, that you truly love us unconditionally. And what that means, we know, is that you see the good and the bad and the ugly. You see behind the mask. You see behind the front that we sometimes try to put up. And yet you love us anyways, God. Uh, thank you for that gift. Uh, thank you for the freedom that comes with that, that we don't have to pretend, that we don't have to try to be something that we're not. Uh, God, help us to reflect that same kind of love here at Kindred Church in our community, Lord. Uh, give us the, the courage uh, to be vulnerable with one another, God. And, and when we're vulnerable, Lord, help us to be the, the kind of church community that, that meets that with love and affirmation and reassurance, uh, forgiveness where it's needed, grace. Um, God, we, we pray that as we do that, we'll, we'll liberate each other from that burden of, of always having to seem like we've got it all together all the time, Lord. Uh, we'll free each other to, to be able to find the, the true healing and the true transformation that you offer to us. We thank you for your incredible example to us in this, and we thank you for the ways that you empower us uh, in this as well. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, friends, just a few things quickly here for you before we go. Uh, first, if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you. And the best way to do that is if you'll click the connect link in the description, um, leave me your info and I'll reach out to you later this week. I uh, look forward to meeting you. If you're local, we would love to see you in in-person worship. And you can get all the details about how to do that on our website. It's kindrednc.church. And then finally, be sure to click the announcements link in the description. Uh, that'll keep you up to speed and, and up to date on all the ways that you can get involved and stay engaged and, and stay connected with God uh, in this season. And with that, friends, uh, remember that we love you and we hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. 
Thanks for tuning in. If this message was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also find it meaningful. To support this ministry, to get involved with Kindred Church, or to learn more about us, check out our website, kindrednc.church. We hope you have a great week.